HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country, to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are sitting here in the it's a beautiful, minimalistic Cato restaurant. Thank you. With chef owner John Yao. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Happy to be here. Um, it's so funny because uh, it's set in a strip mall, and we'll get to that a little bit yeah. later about the importance of strip mall and, and LA cuisine yeah. and how many amazing restaurants. But um, when you walk in, it's totally transportive um, in the design. Um, what made you want to bring sort of that, like, I mean, it's refreshing in a way. Um, what was the idea behind that, the setting? Well, I mean, I guess it's important to talk about how we came upon this space first. Sure. Um, so I was in San Francisco staging, and then I came back because I wanted to travel elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, my parents basically told me, hey, um, we wanted to... I already knew about that they wanted to start a catering operation, but mm-hmm. then I came back and they're like, hey, we have a storefront for it because they require us to get like um, a storefront. So we ha- we have this like restaurant now and then um, we don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> and then we're going to do this catering thing out of the back and we were wondering if you could help us. So it started off like that and then, I mean, I was kind of blindsided at first, so I was just like, I'll just help you and then save up some money, and then it'll allow me to travel and work elsewhere. Yeah. But that's how it started off. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's go back a little bit to the beginning. So you're, you're born about 30 minutes outside of L.A. Right. In Walnut? Walnut, yeah. I've never heard of Walnut. What's Walnut like? Well, I mean, usually when you say Walnut, people are thinking Diamond Bar or Chino, but yeah. it's just a small city. It's like stuck in the middle of two bigger cities. It's just suburb, basically. Basically suburb. And so growing up there, uh, who cooked? Mom, it seems like mom, dad. Mom and dad both cooked. Grandparents cooked a lot too, but um, my mom was for sure the best one. Ooh. Yeah. It was Father's Day coming up too. (laughs) I mean, my dad would cook on special occasions, but we would end up helping him. Mom was the better cook for sure. And so what type of cuisine uh, was in the house and how traditional was it or was it Americanized at all? It wasn't Americanized. It was my parents came here when they were quite young. I think mid their mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So, what well, I grew up thinking this is Chinese food. I'm Chinese. Like yeah. I learned, like I learned later on. Like my mom was learning about cooking as she was like as I grew up too. So, it was really cool. Like I guess I kind of now I realize I got to see her like evolution like cooking and so forth. It's pretty awesome. Um, I definitely, I mean, I, I love my mother's cooking, uh, and I've seen over the years her become a better cook. Right. And it's sort of awesome to see, like, your mom <laughs> improve yeah. at home. Yeah. It's sort of, in, it's inspiring. It is. Um, and so, what were some of the specialty dishes that your mom and your dad would make? Um, if my dad was cooking, we'd steam a lot of seafood. Yeah. We would steam, like, Ridgeback prawns and Dungeness crab. Mm. Yeah, it was really... And then we dip it in, like, black vinegar and ginger, stuff like that. But if my mom cooked, my favorite thing my mom cooks, there's a lot. She does, like, a, a tomato braised oxtail that's really good. And she does, like, a stir-fried um, bean curd. Mm. And then she has, like, a smoked duck with leeks that's really good. She's smoking it in the house? No, she doesn't. But then, like, she buys, like... Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. But she has so many. Like, she, I, I could name off like an entire list of things she's really good at making. I mean, you know, a lot of times when people come over from other countries or things like that, food is really a big foot in to not just sort of a tie to the where they came from, but business itself. For um, sure. Were your parents in the 
you know, when did they start thinking about it as a business? When were you, were you like, Mom, this is really good. Like, you should go, you should open up a restaurant. I think I told her once in high school, like, I was like, Mom, like, why are you doing your... They're interior designers right now. Right. And then I was like, why are you doing this? Like, you should definitely open a restaurant. Like, yeah. I would totally help you open a restaurant. Um, so you could see their passion as a young person. When did that, did that start to inspire you? When did you first start getting in the kitchen more than just helping out dad? Um, yeah, it was around that time too in high school. Cause then what I started to realize about my parents, since they came here so young and they didn't have the opportunity to go, mm-hmm. I mean, they came here in their mid twenties. They didn't go back to Taiwan for 20 years. So I feel like food was a way for them to get in touch with their culture as well. Yeah. Cause we have no relatives here. It's just us three. Really? Yeah. Cause, oh, so are you, did any, has anyone joined you since? No. So it's just the three of you. It's just the three of us. And Taiwanese food back then when you were growing up, how many Taiwanese restaurants were here in LA? Famous ones. There was one like, not chain, but they were family owned. So yeah. there was a couple scattered throughout Los Angeles, but that was it. There wasn't much. So you're in high school and you start thinking about food as a career? Definitely not. I don't. My parents would have killed me back then. I didn't tell them I wanted to choose it as a career until I, like after I graduated college. So instead of sneaking out to party, you're sneaking out over to your friend's kitchen and like trying your hand, like chopping onions and things like that. It was funny because my my friend had a longtime girlfriend in high school. Yeah. And then he was like, "Dude, I don't know what to make, man." So I ended up cooking his dinner for him, snuck out right before his girlfriend came over. Oh my god. Yeah. And he was like, thank you, bud. Yeah. Thank you, bud. So you're in high school. When did you start? When did you finally tell your parents? Did you go to cooking school or did you stage at all? After college, I was supposed to be studying for a test for like, I remember it was my LSAT because I wanted to go to law school mm-hmm. at the time. Or my parents wanted me to my go par- to law school. Let's say that correctly. My parents <laughs> wanted me to go to law school. Yeah. I was studying for that and I just told my parents I kind of wanted to spend my senior summer like cooking. Is it okay if I stage? So I ended up staging at Alma and then in de- at, the original downtown one the, the downtown one yeah and what was what year was this what was it like I think it was 2014 mm-hmm. it was amazing I had a really good time it was um, I, I liked the people I worked for it kind of opened my eyes and I like I knew then that I wanted to like make this my career mm-hmm. yeah now during that time it was regarded as one of the top restaurants in America right and so having that pressure about being a young chef uh-huh. at a restaurant that people had a lot of eyes on. What did you learn from that? I didn't really feel the pressure back then, for mm-hmm. sure. I don't think I really noticed it. I, I felt the pressure when I went to San Francisco, though. Like, when we were at Qua, like, we were cooking, and then I kind of, like, you knew, like, you couldn't fuck up, for sure. So let's talk about that. So you go to Alma. Alma, yeah, and then were you just like, this is not a summer job. This is like, uh, this is my life. Yeah. Did you have that conversation with your parents? Yeah. And what did they say? I had them, I had them come eat at the restaurant, and they were kind enough to take care of us. And then I kind of told them like, hey, like, I would very much like to try this as a career. Like, would you support me? Would you help me maybe move to San Francisco? Mm-hmm. And they already helped me out with my college tuition, so I felt super bad. I was just. I kind of felt like I was disappointing them, but it was something I had to do. But did you feel, as you said earlier, that them coming with just the three of you, uh-huh. that they maybe didn't have the opportunity to follow up on a certain dream that you laid it out, like, this is my dream and, and I want your help? Maybe. I never thought of it like that, but maybe. Because my parents for sure gave up their career choices just to come to the States. Right. Yeah. 
And so maybe they're like, this is why, if his, you know, we're supporting, but if he doesn't want to be a lawyer, we're not going to force him to be a lawyer, but if he wants to be a chef, we'll support him. Because I argued if I was a lawyer, I'd be miserable. Maybe I'd just be like some burnout, like not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least, I mean, and I'll tell you right now, running a restaurant is a hell of a lot harder than being a lawyer. I don't know for sure, but maybe. It's uh, maybe, maybe longer hours. So you have the meal at Alma and then you decide to go to San Francisco. How did you, how did you wind up at Koi? I I knew for sure if I went into went to San Francisco, I wanted to try working at Benu or Qua. Those are like my two top choices. So I just applied to stage at both, and then I spent I spent a little bit of time when I first moved up at Benu, and then I ended up going to Qua. And then I think on my like the end of my first week, the person that I was. I was helping someone out on their station. Yeah. That guy quit. So that's so a lucky break because you lucky just stepped break. right in. Yeah. And so Aqua, I mean, that is uh, arguably regarded as one of the top, toughest restaurants, kitchens to work in. Um, and you said that, you know, you really felt more pressure there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories from that time of just those moments where you're like, I'm really in this? No, I'm pretty good about keeping my head down and working. Yeah. It's just like after work when you process it all, you're yeah. like, man, like good thing I didn't fuck up today. <laughs> but we had we had a lot of VIPs coming in that I like they were big food people, so I we really didn't want to we really didn't want to like mess up or anything. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, you know, I'm sure you were working with a lot of guys who maybe had a little bit more had worked in more restaurants and uh-huh. more experience, but you were able to, I guess, have a natural instinct from. Work cooking with your parents your sort of your entire life yeah I, I yeah I don't really know why like how I ended up being able to do it but it just felt like natural I guess I mean I think that's one of the more incredible things about I mean you're 25 right right and uh, eating this meal here it didn't feel like I was eating someone who was only a meal of someone who was 25 it felt so much more thought out so much more I mean especially that's a tasting menu um, have you found that some of the things, the cooking process, some things about looking about flavors and composition and sort of progression has come easier to you than like you would talk to something and someone who may have had more t- quote unquote experience would look at you and be like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I mean, I read a lot. Yeah. I always, I think I attribute it to reading and like research, but I am like constantly, I think, I think about food like 24 hours a day. I'm always reading. The only way to think about it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm always reading about stuff. I'm always researching something. I always like have something food related on my mind. And what do you read? Um, cookbooks. Yeah. Cookbooks. And I always go on those blogs where people are testing stuff just to see what their results are. Yeah. So do are you bringing a sort of scientific sort of testing R and D approach to your food right now? I don't think like our restaurant allows for it. Yeah. I can't, I don't have the, like the space or the money to say, bring an ingredient, test it in for two weeks, put it on the menu. Yeah. Usually if we're testing something, we're putting it on the menu that night. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about, uh, you finishing at Qua, coming back to LA and starting a restaurant with your parents. Uh, Uh, we have a track coming up from the archives on snacky tunes here on heritage radio network.org. Yeah. 
Long ago I was king of your world You held me close and I made you feel Like you were protected From the forces of nature But when I close my eyes Late at night Baby I'm the king I'm the king of your world And you stare at me As someone new Someone who would crumble With the flesh and the blood Oh and I'm asking you Can you still love me After all the hell That I put you through Oh I was man enough To break your heart Take me alive Take me alive Take me alive Damned in the country Damned in the city Damned to be the work of your hands The work of my hands Was the worth of my world The worst of my life And once upon a time I was king of your world He held me close And I made you feel Like you were protected From the forces of nature But when I close my eyes Late at night Baby, I'm the king I'm the king of your world Staring me as someone new, someone who would crumble with the flesh and the blood. Oh, and I'm asking you, can you still love me after all the hell that I put you through? Oh, I was man enough to break your heart, baby. I'm the king, and they're never gonna take me alive. Take me alive. Take me alive But when I close my eyes Late at night Baby, I'm the king I'm the king of your world And you stare at me As someone who Someone who would crumble With the flesh and the blood Oh, and I'm asking you Can you still love me After all the hell that I put you through Oh, I was man enough to break your heart Baby, I'm the king and they're never gonna take me Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Uh, if you haven't had a moment yet to check us out on iTunes, please check us out and subscribe. And even be kind enough to leave us a review. We are at Cato in Santa Monica with chef owner John Yao. And he has just left Koi. I'm sorry, I never pronounce it right. Koi. Yeah, most, Kwa. People, most people say Koi. It's natural. To just it's say natural Kwa. to say it. I see. It's, it's left Koi. And um, did you know the move immediately was to come back to L.A.? 
I knew I was coming back to LA, but I had a rough idea of where I wanted to go to next, and I was thinking like Copenhagen, New York, wherever I could yeah. stage and potentially earn my job. And um, at what point? It's interesting. So you have your dream. Mm-hmm. And you're afraid to tell your parents, but mm-hmm. then they support you. Uh-huh. And then, at what point does your dream influence their dream of opening like a catering restaurant? I don't think it was really their dream. I think they they saw it as a business opportunity, mm-hmm. and that kind of coincided with, "Hey, like my mom knows how to cook. It might be easy." And then she was thinking, "I could maybe." Like work out their operations for them. Sure. So it just seemed easier that way. So they maybe in, me, included me in their plans. They having it's funny that they would think of you as just like the business operations guy yeah. and not the guy who had recently staged at what was at the time two of the best restaurants in America. Right. Because they, I mean, they had a menu worked out. And so, what was the menu? It was more of a fast casual concept, right? It was a Taiwanese cafe. Basically, I mean, all the first. Restaurant first Taiwanese restaurants in Los Angeles were all like Taiwanese cafes. It was like popcorn chicken, sure. like braised pork over rice, beef noodle soups. Not mad like at that. any of that. Yeah, that all sounds great. Yeah. Something along the lines of like maybe pine and crane. Sure. So they had that worked out. They just needed me like, hey, like train staff, work out our operations, yeah. like our daily operating procedures, and then make some money off of it, and then you can go and pursue your career path. Now, it was in the same location as we're sitting today, right? Yeah, it was so, right so as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, they had to have this place before they could actually start a business. Right. Um, and so, I mean, it's sort of amazing how many, I would say, restaurants of note, legendary restaurants have started in mini malls, yeah. in strip malls in L.A. Um, was it just... What was the reasoning behind it? Was it just something that was affordable and easy to find, or they just knew that they could open it up and have... Because you can enter from, traffic-wise, like two or three different locations. Right. They, their catering operation was to fulfill like a, a contract with UCLA along mm-hmm. those lines. So this is really close to Westwood. So sure. they just walked down. Them and their business partners just walked down, and they were looking for places. And then the previous tenant here also rents out a location upstairs sure. and then he was like the landlord was like hey he can't afford to pay both of these rents we won't charge you any money just take over the lease remodel it however you would do you want this space and then it was more of a price point issue we just took it over I mean it's sort of a a dream situation to find a place like that and a landlord is like you can do what you want it is um, so how did their now the restaurant had the same name correct it was called Yekta here. I yeah. think it's called Yekta upstairs still. I'm, I'm not sure. No, no, but when your parents opened, it was Cato, correct? No, they never ended up opening it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they never... So what happens? So we're remodeling it. They asked me for, like, how I would, as a young person, want, like, a nice cafe remodeled. So I told them, with the limited budget we had, yeah. we designed this space. Because it's very... Min- I mean, it's great. It's It yeah. feels... It doesn't feel like limited budget. It yeah. feels just like the thing where it's it's the beautiful, minimal, we're only going to have... The things we pick are the best things. Yeah. I told my parents I wanted it to look like a, like a blue bottle coffee. I mean, it feels very much like a, yeah. a blue... It just if, Instead of having, uh, you know, San Pellegrino and some fermented broth, you would have yeah. uh, pour-over coffee or yeah. something like that. Um, so... What happens? They're about they're they're, they're thinking they're going to open one restaurant, but something changes. What changed? I think a month out 
from opening, we had pretty much everything set up. Yeah. And then we were just we were just like polishing up stuff, waiting for equipment to come in. I'm I'm asking my mom for recipes, and they're so like not exact. Yeah. I was just like, I can't do this every day. I can't have this back and forth. I would rather cook something I'm more familiar with. Sure. So we decided to open with kind of like a cafe style still, but a la carte. Right. So a couple of weeks later, we're doing our friends and family. Our first day, we're doing a la carte. Mm-hmm. I think usually we do 60 covers here. That night, we did like 220. Damn. It was lot, insane. A lot of friends. Yeah, a lot of friends. A lot of friends. It was really ridiculous. And then... I believe that was, I believe that was uh, a Saturday, and then the following Monday we we opened with that a la carte menu. Obviously, nobody came in because we don't we don't we didn't do any marketing. Right. Or PR. Like, I didn't expect anybody to come in either. And then Tuesday went by, nobody came. And then Wednesday, I was kind of like, we're gonna do a tasting menu. This is what I'm familiar with. Yeah. We're just gonna try it for two weeks, and if yeah. it works, it works. If it doesn't, like, no harm done. But still while ha- offering the a la carte for lunch and for things like that. No, we never did lunch. And then <laughs> we were just like, scrap the a la carte menu. We're only going to offer a tasting menu. It's easier for me to order everything. We have limited space. It's easier for me to arrange and organize. So we're going to stick with this menu for two weeks just to see what happens. And what happened? How did the word get out? So Monday and Tuesday passed. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, but... Farley Elliott from Shout Peter. out to Farley Yeah He saved us He he, Friend of the tunes Yeah I listened to his podcast yeah. This morning But he emailed me And he He's asking What are you guys doing What are you guys up to over there Kind of explain to him He writes about it on Eater And we're like Booked solid for two and a half weeks I mean power, power of modern media Yeah And I remember that email Conversation went through about like 12.30, 1 o'clock. Yeah. We had no covers that day. Yeah. I think we had two actually. And then we ended up being full. I think we were almost full that day. And then thank God we had, like, I ordered enough food and everything. Cause so, and so, you know, going back to an earlier point, um, just the idea that you're going to set a tasting menu. Uh-huh. Um, how did you know what progression to make? How did you know? what dishes to put on that didn't just feel like, oh, here's a dish, here's a di- here's another dish, you know, where it's like a hodgepodge. Like it actually feels like a really thought-out menu uh, three days in to the opening of a restaurant with complete change for what you are originally going to do. I, when I came back from San Francisco, it had been a couple months because then we were building out this restaurant. And I was doing... I was cooking myself at my home for eight guests a night. I think Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Mm. And we would do like six to eight courses. Okay. So I kind of had a couple items I knew I wanted to serve. Such as? Um, We used to have like a corn soup. Mm. The smoked tamachi. Mm -hmm. Everything else is gone, I think. But we used to have like a short rib that I brought over. Yeah, but those things I knew for sure I wanted. And then we kind of looked to... Maybe how, like, Japanese, like, kaiseki is organized, and we kind of know, like, hey, that's the flow. Maybe we should serve stuff in that rhythm. So you're looking at a traditional, because kaiseki, while changes based on seasonality and Uh things like that, does have that rhythm already set in. You're just slotting in what works works best. But, Uh, of course, we, like, we have our own style. Like, nowadays, like, it's completely off rhythm. It's just what we feel like is... So let's talk about that. So Eater blows you up. You're booked. You go to mom and dad, you're like, this is what we're doing? Yeah. And you still were offering some a la carte menus, though, right? Yeah, because... 
sometimes our portions were a little small to begin with. Yeah. We were using really expensive seafood, so it was really hard to balance. Like, even right now, our food costs are not as good as we I, want them to be. I mean, I honestly don't understand how you're charging so little. Yeah. I'm just going to say it on the record. Yeah. I, like, I, when, we, when we ate here, I was like, we can pay, like, this is it? Yeah. Which is why we do our extended tasting menu. No, now. which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so you had the supplements, and then uh, a couple of weeks ago you got rid of them, correct? Yeah, we got rid of them in lieu of the uh, the eighty dollar menu, just because we don't have a lot of like space to cook with. So it's we take up all our space doing that eleven course menu. So coming up on a year of being here, what has the evolution been like, and the confidence um, that has come into this kitchen? Uh, because obviously you have to have some sort of confidence when you're just like, I've done a couple of two stages, a couple of pop-up dinners in my home, but we're going to move to a tasting menu. But obviously it feels like you've come into your own in the last year, and I'm sure it's only going to get better. But what's, what's the experience been like? How have you shifted planning the menu? I mean, we, I feel like there's a lot more pressure because people come in expecting a certain level of things. Like when we first started, we were changing menu items. We were changing two things a week, two to three things a week. Now, it's a lot. Yeah, now it's like maybe two things a month. It's scary because people are coming in expecting a certain thing and they're paying a, a huge price tag. And I don't want to. I don't want diners to feel like I'm testing something on them. Right. Which is tough when you can't do R and D on your own, exactly. Especially if you have to have a small kitchen, right. a very thin margin. Right. It's like if we're making it, we're serving it. Mm-hmm. So. What's next? Uh, does the uh, do, do your parents get to have their own restaurant in another place, or are you going to move this place? Do they get to have the restaurant back? No, I don't want them to work. My whole goal was to get them to retire. I don't want them to be doing physical labor, especially working in a restaurant's like twelve to sixteen hours. See, it is tougher than being a lawyer. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you this: you're not on your feet in the heat yeah. for twelve to sixteen hours. Yeah. Maybe it's different hard work. Yeah. Um. So. You can, I know that the biggest issue here is that you don't have a liquor license. And you can't even have BYOB, mm-hmm. which is some inane law because of the size of the bathroom. Um, it's because of this park down the street. Oh. Yeah. It's like 300 feet from us. Oh. We have to, it's like a whole trial. We have to wait like another 6 to 12 months, they said. It's ridiculous. So does that mean you're going to find another location? We're looking for another location. I think that's the only way out. I think we can do... I want to do like maybe 40 seats a night. We don't know if we're going to keep the tasting menu or not. It's everything's still up in the air, but we do want to switch locations. So when you say that everything's up in the air, is it going to be like a mix of like fast casual or tasting menu if you have a larger kitchen? I think we're debating between either a tasting menu or a la carte. We're probably going to stick to the tasting menu. I mean, it's so good. Yeah. I just don't. I haven't really quite figured out the... Well, you haven't figured out all the answers yeah. at 25 and one year into your first restaurant? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, um, and then I heard that you're going to be doing an even more extensive menu on Sundays. So we're thinking of doing a Sunday, I wouldn't say pop-up, like Sunday dinners here twice a month where we're doing... My friend does pastries here right now. He's, like, doing, like, a residency. He's amazing. He's yeah. probably going to do 12, 10 to 12 desserts, and then I'm going to do 10 to 12, like, really bite-sized stuff that's, like, really intricate. Wow. But that's kind of my dream for... My end goal is still to open a fine dining restaurant in the manner that, like... Say you go to, like, an omakase restaurant, and it's, like, bite-sized, yeah. like, nigiri, right? But then we do it in, like, a different format, so it's, like, different forms, like raw fish or 
the best fish we can source, best seafood, and then in a different format, but all within two to three bites. So I'm going to do like 10 to 12 bites. He's going to do 10 to 12 desserts, and it'll, it'll be fun. Uh, I mean, that sounds amazing. But I want to ask... I mean, do you not consider this fine dining? I mean, why not? I mean, I consider this very elevated, very food, and I know you don't have the white tablecloths and you don't have the six waiters and things like that, but do you not feel, do you feel that if it's, it's not considered like a high enough level of dining? I don't consider, I don't think it's a high enough level of dining, but we purposely try to make the environment fun so it doesn't feel like stuffy that you are in a fine dining restaurant. Yeah, well, I think it's the perfect balance. I think it's Thank elevated you. food and a really good time and totally not stuffy. And once you start putting booze and liquor and wine and beer in the mix, you're going to have even even more people wanting to come in. We hope. Um, so where can people find you online? Where can people come visit? KatoRestaurant.com. Our Instagram's KatoRestaurant. You can... It's a good Instagram. Is it? It is. I follow it. It makes you want to come in and eat. We, we've been we've been working hard at it. It's good. It's, it's definitely... Uh, uh, run by someone with a good eye it's really good and it's a lot of fun that's our manager uh, Nikki she's oh she's shout out to Nikki she's yeah. great I feel like people come here just to just to have like Nikki be next to them serving them she's great yeah. she's, she's one of the best hosts and she's a uh, friend family as well she actually grew up in our neighboring city and I knew her boyfriend in high school got it and then she took a job on when we really needed people as a busser yeah but she was so she was so amazing we ended up making her our manager she's the type of person that you look forward to like seeing when you come to eat at right Rio. yeah it's awesome um, well congratulations thank you a year in I can't wait to see the next one I'm definitely going to be back in to eat I recommend everyone else does and probably make a reservation thank you in advance uh, we have another track from the archives and then a uh, live performance coming up at Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Swimming trunks and a book of love words I rode my bike and sang songs Onto the boardwalk I opened up my throat And I will not forget to send a photo of Got in a car and went to A mountain peak Put on a pack of jacket to walk a mile I opened every throat and made love in nature Said sorry son it's gone away, we were not scared I might have turned my phone off, I might have tried to I might have hurt my ankle, I might have tried to I might have eaten something, I might have tried to I might have taken off but heaven didn't come And I was earth and sun My friends were too. I was away, and my friends were too. Hey, mom, hey, 
do you want to talk about today? What you talk about today? Hi, it's Jameson Fink. I'm senior digital editor at Wine Enthusiast. And once again, I'm going to talk about some wine, but of course, um, I'm in my Brooklyn apartment again because this is where I get a lot of my inspiration. I'm actually, this time, I hope this isn't too weird, I'm in my bathroom. I'm not going to lie. I'm in my bathroom because I'm thinking about one of life's great pleasures in a hot summer when you don't have air conditioning. It's the shower beer. You take a cold shower, you crack open a can of beer, you know, a lighter style, quaffable, sessiony beer. And you just uh, you cool off because that's the only way you have to cool down. So I was wondering, is there is there a wine equivalent to the shower beer? Uh, is it out there? And I think it is. I think the first thing I would look at is, well, wine in a can. Um, and especially more spritzery type things. There are a couple that I really love and that are delicious and sort of dangerously easy to drink. One is, um, it's called Ramona, and it's a white wine and grapefruit spritzer with a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of fizz, just enough fizz, and a touch of sweetness, just a touch, just a hint. And it's absolutely delicious. And um, the other I'm thinking of is Hoxie. Um, Hoxie is the brand. Hoxie spritzers. They have a variety of flavors, and they're all made from some kind of weird, cool, uh, interesting grapes. And um, they're very refreshing as well. There's a, a lemon. I think it's lemon, 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 lemon linden that I really like. That is quite a tongue twister. Um, what I also like about them is uh, aesthetically they're pleasing because they come in a slender uh, Red Bull-esque can that I somehow find more charming. And I guess, hey, in your shower caddy, you know, if you don't have a lot of room in your shower caddy, the slender can fits really nice next to your uh, conditioner and your shampoo and, and whatnot that you might have in your shower caddy. So, um, what about, um, but then let's say you're just not into spritzers or uh, wines in a can, though you should be uh, into both. Um, what wines are out there that are kind of like a, uh, the equivalent of a session beer? The first one I think of, which I think is sort of like the, the penultimate sort of wine slash shower beer would be uh, Vino Verde. Uh, it's a Portuguese wine, and Vino Verde is, is a region. It's a big, wide, encompassing region. There are all kinds of wines that, that have that designation on there, so I don't get in trouble for uh, pigeonholing it. It's a vast, diverse world of, of Vino Verde white wines out there. Um, uh, and I don't think it's just white either. But um, but you, what you'll see is white. And the majority, honestly, of what you'll find when you go to a wine shop and you, uh, you see Vino Verde in the cold box, in the cooler... Uh, it's going to be a light, spritzy white wine, maybe around 8% alcohol, which is which is quite low for a white wine. And it's an absolute delight to drink. Just crisp, fizzy, light, refreshing. Um, another wine that I think would be worthy of the, uh, the shower would be um, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I love crisp, dry, zesty Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I guess New Zealand is probably very iconic for... Uh, for their Sauvignon Blanc, it, it's what it's what put them on the wine map. Of course, um, France, the Loire Valley, like Sancerre, um, beautiful wines, but I think they're just a little too fancy for the shower. Um, another place that I really like 
uh, value um, Sauvignon Blanc is Chile. I think Chile is making incredible Sauvignon Blanc, super high quality at a great price. I really, I don't think, honestly, I've had a bad uh, Chilean Sauvignon Blanc. And, um, you know, like like around 10 bucks, there's, there's a lot of them available. And again, that's not to say that the world of Chilean Sauvignon Blanc is just, you know, $10 cheap bottles. There's some more um, fancy pants ones that, you know, are more expensive and, and worth the money. I, I think regardless of, of what you pay for a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc, you're going to find um, that they're just a delight. And finally, um, I do want to say that uh, although I'm recommending um, shower wines, just, you know, don't bring a bottle into the shower, a glass bottle. Don't drink don't bring a glass, um, wine glass, but, um, just, you know, drink out of something that's, that's not going to shatter in your shower. That's going to be a disaster for everyone. So, um, you know what? Beer shouldn't get to have all the fun and, um, explore wine in a can, explore your sort of, uh, shower beers of wine or shower wines of beer. Like I said, Vino Verde from Portugal, Sauvignon Blanc, really just look for anything, honestly, that's lower in alcohol. I, I, I'm sort of obsessive with looking at labels and alcohol levels. I'm kind of a monster that way. I mean, I, I like my white wines to be well below 13% and reds well below 14. That's just my, my, my Mason Dixon line, my dividing line, my, maybe my equator, but it's very arbitrary. It's not like the equator, which is science. It's very arbitrary. Um, I believe the equator is science. So, um, just look for like low alcohol whites, chill them down. Of course, rosés are fantastic too. And, um, don't forget to, uh, don't fear the can when it comes to wine. Canned wine can be a beautiful thing. Now, excuse me. It's time for my shower wine. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Welcome back. We are here live in studio. Bushwick. Uh, those were songs by Ramesh and Conveyor, and a big thank you to Jameson Fink for the second installment of Snacky Tunes 5. Let's get to it. Tall Juan, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hello. Hello, how are you? Very good, thanks and so much. And we have Patrick joining us as well. Hello, hello. How are you guys doing today? Very good, all the good. way from New Jersey, Patrick. All the way, Pat- yeah. Patricio. So who came for the New Jersey, Argentina? It's mm-hmm. kind of half the difference. Yeah, but that, that's New York, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you started learning the guitar when you were six. Uh, I started strumming the guitar when I was six, and this guy, he saw me playing once, and he told me he was he wanted to teach me how to play. At I, six? I, he, at eight. At eight, okay. Yeah. And you learned a little bit from your dad and your uncle, right? Mm-hmm. What did they teach you or what kind of guidance did they give you at such a young age? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, they told me how about this, 
They told me how to play a couple of chords and then uh, maybe like some Argentinian songs. I don't remember right now. And it, it won't make sense to tell you what song. <laughs> no, you can tell us. Uh, oh, shit. No, I don't remember the name. Can I say shit? <laughs> yeah, you can. It's, cool. it's, it's, it's a radio. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> now, uh, so I think what happened is uh, after I learned like the basic, the basic like open chords, I started uh, teaching myself how to play songs like by, by ear, right? And then you discovered the Ramones when you were eight. Yeah. What was it about them, since you didn't speak English, what was it about them that drew you in um, either the landscape or the sound quality, or, or what was it that just caught your ear? Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that In Argentina, we, we, like a lot, we like the Beatles. We like a lot of bands from, from England and the U.S., and we don't know what they're talking about. But you know that, I mean, if you like music, you know that, that you, you get a feeling of the... Of the of what people wants to wants to express, right? Through the music, you get even if you don't understand the, the lyrics, you, there's something that you feel. I mean, it's the energy they're sending by doing the, their music, by playing those songs, I, I think I, I got something from there. It's crazy because when I moved to to the states, I started learning English, and then I started understanding some songs of different bands, and some some bands I think I. St- I stopped liking them, or I like them less than than before. And some bands like like Ramones, I started liking liking them even more. And did you how how far off did you feel like what you felt what they were kind of demonstrating through music? Like where did you feel about that? And then when you learned the lyrics, like did, were you right? Were you kind of far off? Were they? Did mm-hmm. you know they were songs about girls and you know being young? Actually, I, I was when I was a kid. Like I don't know why, maybe because I, I used to hang out with older people, older guys, and I had older. I'm the youngest in, the, in my family, uh, younger, younger brother, youngest brother, and I don't know, when I was maybe 10 or 11, I, I was sleep, sniffing glue, and that was something like a very South American thing to do, I mean, that was like a neighborhood thing, we used to sniff glue and drink a lot of like, cheap wine and, and do drugs, and, and I didn't know, they're almost, they were talking about, nah, I want to sniff, sniff some glue, I didn't know what that means, but... It makes it makes a lot of sense that I was listening to that and the right the moment. You're like, oh but, yeah, okay, yeah, I get this. Yeah, this is me. Oh yeah. <laughs> now now that I think about it, it's kind of crazy. It's cool because I mean they were they were they were neighborhood kids and they were from from Queens. And if I think where I, where I, where I'm from in Argentina, it's pretty much like that. It's like I'm I'm from like an hour away from the city. And what was the punk scene like when you were growing up in Argentina when you were in your teenage years? There is a I mean there were there was a big punk scene and. It's like now it's like its own scene, right? It's not like the Ramones that we have bands they sing in Spanish and and they have their own sound now, but they're based on, Ram, on the Ramones sound. Um, but there were a lot of lot of bands from from Argentina playing around that time, early nineties um, and late eighties. But I, I wasn't there around the time. Uh, but it was cool. I don't know. It was it was kind of kind of funny because now now I see that I said. To me, it was cool because I was 10 years old, 12, 13. I was a kid, right? Like some some kids, they, they watch, I don't know, Barney. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was like, <laughs> you were sniffing glue. And yeah, I was, yeah, I don't know. That happened to me. I don't know why. But to me, that that was cool. But now I look back, it's kind of like a, we we buy a movie. It's like a movie, right? Like mm-hmm. a, It's not a... We, we buy that from, from the whatever they sell us on the, in the movies and the the news from from america it's like 
we were like doing shit like that. It wasn't really from there, right? We weren't listening to folk, mu Argentinian folk music. We were listening to rock from America. Right, like imported culture in a way. Yeah, so it's pretty much like, basically like we were trying all, we were all trying to be rock stars. And even the rock star, they take care of their wives. We weren't. We were like fucking doing... Right, it's always interesting uh, when we would travel around as DJs, uh, people would be like, oh, New York is like this. And we would go, New York is definitely not like that. You guys are crazy. Yeah, like, not, not, they don't not. get, it's uh, like they would take it too far. They wouldn't know. They would only see the outward thing, but not how just it was a projection or just a persona. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's pretty funny because uh, I mean, I read a lot of Ramon, about Ramones. And it, the first time they went to, to London, they got there and. You know, Ramones, they, they, they used to wear, like, regular like regular guys. And then when they got that look, they, 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 they tried to make sure that whenever someone saw it in the street, or they were wearing the leather jackets, and, which was Arturo Vega's idea, right? But the thing is, like, they got to, to London, and all the punks, they were waiting for them. They wanted to, they wanted to fight them because <laughs> they thought they were, like, really bad kids from the, from the neighborhood in, in Queens, New York. They didn't know what that was. Yeah, they were, they were just kids. Yeah, and they were like, we didn't, and they say we didn't know why these guys they were so angry, and they, so they kind of like they bought that idea of what punk was in, in America, and they took it a little bit far farther. In Argentina, the same. I, I don't know. I used to go to shows, and always we had we always had problems with the police, and the police came, and the kids they were crazy. They were like, how do you say, like flipping cats cars in the street? Like that was that was nuts. Can we hear a song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna to play a song. It's called Cuida Coches. It's in Spanish. And it's one of the, the first uh, punk punk rock bands from Argentina I listened to. But I like this band a lot. It's called Loquero, which means like mental institution. And and the, the lyrics, they were very social uh, uh, related, you know? They were Perfect. talking about people living in the street and, and the guy who used to work, work in a mental institution. Perfect. Well, here we go live on Snacky Tunes. Okay. Como yo, chicos, chicas, pobres, no escuchamos tu rock Masticamos odio, chicos, sin diversión, ni trabajo fijo ¿Quieres tu estéreo? ¿Quieres que la cuide? Cuida coches, te la cuido Cuida coches, te la cuido oh, oh. Chicos, chicas, pobres, no escuchamos tu rock Masticamos adiós, chicos, sin diversión Mi trabajo fijo ¿Quieres un deseo? ¿Quieres que la cuide? Cuida coche, hazte la cuido 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 What brought you to the States? Um, uh, I would say uh, the destiny. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I first came here because my, uh, I have a sister. She lives here. She moved here in 2001. Or two, yeah, around, that, around then. And I don't know. She, 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 saw, she felt that I was doing really bad in Argentina around uh, the time when I, before moving here. I was doing mad drugs around the time, and like, I don't know, I was very depressed. And 
and she's like a, it's my older si a sister so she kind of like took care of me as, like as a mom when I was a baby and she fell down she said, she said you, sh you should come here I was like okay I have a bass amp and some, some stuff some gear over there and uh, I sold everything I bought a ticket and I came here did you feel like the city spoke to you when you got here? Did you feel a connection to New York or Far Rockaway where you ended up? Uh, it's kind of weird because I, I, I kind of fell in love with the th the city, but like in a different way. I, I like it right now because when I got here, I didn't know anyone, and I like the the fact that I was able to to walk with the guitar late night because because New York is very safe, right? I mean, now it, it is. Yeah, yeah. So I I wasn't able to do that uh, in Argentina much. I mean, I used to do it because I, I had to do it, but it was pretty it was pretty bad, very dangerous. And coming here, I felt so free. I was like, oh my god, I can do this, I can do that, and that I don't have to even worry about like how I, how I look. If I, I'm dressed this way, dressed up this way, uh, I don't know in Argentina they will. You know, me like fuck it, and they were wanted to fight me in the streets. I don't know, we'll no put reason. it on the uh, Snacky Tunes Instagram, but your outfit is on fire today. It's on fire! It's a it's an African uh, outfit I'm wearing. Yeah, it's a great summer look. From yeah, yeah. Did you and did you feel that freedom influenced the way that you wrote songs or changed the way that you approach music? Uh, mm, Cause I don't know. Now I'm thinking, what what's freedom? Cause freedom, I mean, like being able to walk in the street. It's just another word. Yeah. For cause now, now I feel free because I was safe, and now I feel like I'm safe because I'm controlled. So I don't know how free I feel right now. So now it's like it's a different story for me. I was. And now what, what's your relationship to New York now? After how many years have you lived here? Uh, I, that was the first time I came here. That was five years ago, and. At one point, I got so tired of the, the because I, I remember the first places my, my sister she brought me was to this in this neighborhood. And what to me was like, everything was so new. I was like, wow, look at this. There were bands playing, uh, something I, I never seen before. And, and now I don't know. I, I got at one point I got tired of all that, and then I, that's why I moved to Far Rockaway, trying to find more like uh, what I was, what I'm more used to in, in Argentina or wherever wherever I go. I always try to go to to the, the neighborhoods. Yeah. What I really like about your music is it switches back between Spanish and English, and the English lyrics are very straightforward and direct. How have you found about the process, both learning the language and then having to express yourself in it, has affected the way in which you craft your songs? Um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of what happened to to me was I, I never I always play music, but I, I never focus on writing songs, and I think I started writing more songs when I when I got here. And because I, I wanted, I wanted people to understand what I was talking about. Even though I, I don't, I don't, my, my English wasn't. It's not really good. I, that was the only way to to express myself. And so I started writing the first songs like in English in my life. So I don't know. I, it is. I don't think it changed much what I, the way I used to write before because I, I didn't. I hadn't write much before coming here. And how did you feel about being able to express yourself in a more, maybe not your first tongue, trying yeah. to get out, you know, your complex yeah. thoughts down into something a little bit yeah. more simple? Um, some I think at the beginning it was a, I felt like a little bit, a little bit. I, I had to do it because I, ha, I have to do it. That's why it's something I felt I had to do. 
it's like right in English, but I think I, I feel a little bit like a, not embarrassed, but I feel like a little ashamed of, of like not having like a proper English. But then I found out that I don't, ha I don't have a proper Spanish here. So <laughs> <laughs> learning another language like showed me that I don't know my own language, mm. right? There's, there's a lot of things you have to learn from your own. Um, but I don't know. I, what, I, I don't try to go too deep right now into writing because into I'm not a writer. I just try to express with a little bit of music my, my, my feelings, which is very, very hard. But I think with the little I know of, of English, I, I can I can do it, and hopefully in the future I can do it more. Uh, I don't know, if easier or no, not easier, but freely. Mm. Can we hear another song? Yes, uh, I'm gonna play one, another one one song in broken English for you guys. <laughs> What's it called? It's called "Take Your Time," and I wrote that to this song to a friend. Take your time 
your time sometimes <laughs> Your new record, Old and Goldies, came out this past May. Yeah. What was the process in pulling this collection of songs together, and how did you formulate the record? Um, it took me like a, like three years to to finish the, this album because I started writing the songs three three years ago, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm not like a fast writer, so. Uh, like Paul Simon, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, I don't write songs like every every day, and it took me like maybe two years and a half to write all the songs I have in, on the album. Although I have made, I think there are nine songs, original songs and six covers. But to to decide what what was gonna be on the album, it took me three years, and then I recorded it. Uh, no, actually, it took me two years and and a half, and then it took me like half half a year, almost almost one year to record the whole thing why did it take so long to record it because uh, I was uh, I've been very in in uh, I've been very focused on playing shows so I think uh, that that takes a lot of my time so if I go on tour or blah blah, blah then I don't have time to right so the record just kind of was almost secondary to the the live yeah yeah just yeah because I think your live is, is in the, at, at this moment it's more important than, than the record sure I mean for what I do Sure. Why and why is that? I don't know. It's like I like. I really like to. I don't know. I think if the music is more produced and you have more like a like a. I don't know. I don't think this the music I'm playing right now is like too important to to hear like details and everything. So I think it's a, it's more like all the the energy and you know? Right, it's not like okay, get into a quiet room, put on your like very nice sound yeah, canceling yeah. headphones, and and dive into the Tall One record. It's, yeah, yeah, come yeah. see a show, get drunk, get in the pit. Uh no, no, I wouldn't say that. No, I, I'm very uh, no against. I mean, you do whatever you want, but my 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 message, I I would never want that, was, that that for people to come to a show and get drunk. Just ha- come. What I really want, what I want to express is a. Uh, it's not with the lyrics, but with my energy. I want I want people to come to a show and have fun, and maybe hopefully get in, get inspired and, and and take some of my energy, of our, our energy when we're playing, and, and trying to maybe you go back home and you want to start doing something by yourself, right? It, it sounds really reminiscent of how you listened to music when you were younger, that just hearing the music and maybe not knowing about the lyrics, but just hearing and feeling inspired that you're conveying that now with the music that you're performing. Mm-hmm. When I used to go. To shows when I was a kid, that, that that's that's the the way I felt. I remember remember going to shows and see like this really cool band I liked. And after the show, I was like, oh man, I want to play music. I want to do this. I want to do that. Because that that was thanks to those guys. They were they were doing like a, they were so energetic that really inspired me to do what I'm doing right now. And I heard a couple of times uh, some people told me that. Not many people, but about like three or four times they, they told me, yo. I really want to go play. I want to start playing music now. I say, that, that's what's up. That, that's what I wanted to accomplish, right? It's amazing. Yeah. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song, but where can people find you, uh, get your record, find out where your shows are, check out your they, fashion sense? They can find me... Uh, you, you can listen. You can hear this in, all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you can find me next month in a, 
I mean, no, wait, no, it's July, right? I'm a little lost. <laughs> uh, at the end of the month, I, I'll be in Mexico. I know that that's, that's no your, your, yeah. your question, but yeah. <laughs> you can find me in, in Mexico. I've, I'll be playing in Mexico 27th and 29th, 29th of July in uh, Mexico City. Then I'll be in LA early August, then going to Argentina, Uruguay, and Chile in August too. And then I'll be touring the US September, October with. with Pat, he's right here. He's gonna come play bass with me. Perfect. And no, but you can find it online. I don't know. You, you, I don't know. You yeah, can just find Google, it. tall one. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not. I don't know. Not <laughs> if you can many. come to to the show, that that will be even better. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, big thanks to John Yao and Jameson Fink. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this week's Snacky Tunes. What's the name of the song you are going to take us out with? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think I want to play one. It's called, it's called I Wish I Knew. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another live episode of Snacky Tunes. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for coming. Peace. I wish I knew more, more than what I knew about you now. I know you like fruits. Amusement parks too oh, Staying up all night Sharing good times with you Listening to Ramon So I just let her go But nothing went wrong Instead I'm alright The times we were cool those times in school, I recall them now. Oh, sharing good times with you, walking down by the park. Oh, oh I haven't seen you since then. It's just one thing I'm sure of. Oh, 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 oh yeah, my heart. Belongs to you, to you, to you, to you, Much love to the people, power to the people. <laughs> We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.